When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, and welcome to the Courtney Turner Podcast. I'm your host, Courtney, and I'm super passionate about moving and thinking. On this show, we are going to dive into all things health, fitness, personal development, lifestyle, and political sociocultural. I've always been fascinated by people, and I love learning from the experiences and stories of others. This has been a treat for me, and I hope this is enjoyable and useful for you. As always, if you have any questions, comments, or any way that I can make this a better experience for you, please don't hesitate to reach out. Hello, welcome to the Courtney Turner Podcast. I am here today with a super exciting guest, Jay Dyer, and he is an author, a comedian, the host of his own show. He has a website, Jay's Analysis. Definitely go check it out. He has his he's an author of the book, Esoteric Hollywood. Uh, yeah. And uh, yeah, how are you doing today, Jay? I'm doing great. Yeah, I also host the fourth hour of the Alex Jones show quite a bit. So, yes, I have checked that out. Super awesome work there. Yeah. So for my audience, tell us a little bit about, you know, who you are, how you got involved in this research and uh, this whole world that you're in now. So I do analysis of movies, symbolism in movies. I do uh, debates with atheists, Muslims, uh, different religions. Do uh, analysis of geopolitics. Um, I have written two books on movies and symbolism. Uh, we did a full production TV show, uh, one season on the first book. And uh, I do a lot of weird comedic uh, sketch stuff too. Awesome. So give me a little, I'm very curious, I think, to kind of start and just to open things up uh, in terms of a geopolitical kind of overview. Can you give us a little bit of, I'm thinking how to best condense this, but so we're seeing a lot of things kind of come to the surface right now, right? (laughs) Um, And a lot of things that I think in the past people would never have accepted as even being remotely possible, Um, right. (laughs) Uh, years ago, this would have just been some crazy dystopian novel Mm. and, uh, anybody who even suggested some of the things that are actually happening would just be written off as a crazy conspiracy theorist or just plain old insane. Um, so, but the more you dig into some of the, uh, history and the philosophy and yeah, just the little, the literal structure of our geopolitical sphere, you realize it makes a lot more sense, you know, and that maybe it's not even so crazy at all. Um, So could you give us a little overview of maybe the, yeah, the geopolitical structure that is running the show? So basically the world is run uh, largely, not every place in the world, but it's world, it's run by a uh, technocratic global elite that has some really important sectors to it. it has a banking sector it has a, a corporate fortune 100 sector a lot of big you know uh, 
pharmaceutical, you know, companies at the top of that spectrum, um, energy sector, uh, and then the culture sector, uh, which would be, you know, pop culture and all that stuff. So really there's one um, at the top kind of controlling structure of the West. Yeah. They have a lot of influence throughout <clears throat> most of the globe through the international banking empire uh, and system that was set up in, uh, as a result of World War One and World War Two, which is the Bretton Woods system and, and the, the dollar and all that, and the ba Bank for Nas International Settlement Settlements and the, the basically the debt-based system. So they run the world through uh, coordination uh, in terms of these higher-level steering committees, think tanks, foundations, tax-free foundations, uh, and uh, black market, uh, black uh, secret banking, shadow banking. So that's how the world is actually run. Uh, the worldview that they have is predominantly, as I said, technocratic, evolutionary, uh, materialistic, and or uh, Luciferian. And the idea is that they will basically create a kind of uh, utopia, but after they have dispensed with a large portion of the human population and brought in a uh, synthetic, basically mutated synthoid kind of uh, uh, world government that's tied into an AI technocratic system. So that's what the, the 30, 50 year plan is uh, up to 2050. And uh, this is all public. And one of the things I do is I lecture through the writings of these people themselves. So we've gone through about 50 writings of the elite uh, in the last four, three, four years. Uh, so that's just one of the side projects that I do. And that, that includes books from uh, famous CIA operatives. It includes books from uh, famous geostrategic uh, writers, Brzezinski, Quigley, uh, Carol Quigley, uh, Miles Copeland, famous technocrats and strategists like Bertrand Russell, Jacques Attali, Timothy Leary, um, History of the Rand Corporation from Alex Abeya, History of, the, of DARPA from Annie Jacobson. So that's basically what I do is, is uh, go through these big boring books and then kind of condense that and give people the, the bird's eye view. So that's what's really going on. Yeah, I, I loved it. I think one time you said that you, you do other people's homework for them. I do. Yeah, I'm, I'm basically <laughs> like your nerd that does the homework and you pay me. Yes, greatly appreciated. Um, so there's so many different uh, factions of that. And so I, I'd like to start with perhaps we can start with some of the scientific uh, realm of it, because a lot of us are experiencing and we're seeing in real time the medical tyranny that's coming to fruition uh, now. And uh, I've done, I personally have done a lot of work on, uh, you know, research articles on what's in these uh, mm. injections that are currently being pushed so hard, you know, $10 billion to push a medical miracle. Uh, you would think a medical miracle would sell, sell itself, <laughs> but apparently it needs $10 billion of propaganda to do that. So, um, I, you know, obviously I don't have the crystal ball and nobody knows what the future will hold, but digging into some of the science behind this, it doesn't look very good. Um, and then when you look at some of the history of, you know, people like Bertrand Russell were talking about this a hundred years ago, which is right. absolutely ludicrous because there's absolutely no way that he could have predicted this type of technology yeah. even being present um, so can you uh, maybe close the gap a little bit on that and how, you know, we can see by, I, I think a really good way to look at what is, sometimes when something is so hard to believe, it's good to look at what the intentions might have been. 
Um, and you can look at that based on the, usually you look at that based on the outcome, but because we don't know the ultimate outcome, we can only project it uh, based on conjecture. We can't actually see it because we don't know what'll happen a few years from now as a result, but maybe dig into a little bit of what their plans were. Well, after the enlightenment and the scientific revolution, the idea became um, pretty much mainstream that society should be organized on the principles of reason, mm -hmm. science and pragmatism. And so the West adopted this really sort of crass uh, materialistic view of science and scientism, uh, or what some people call Anglo empiricism. Uh, this is the philosophy of the Anglosphere. And over time, uh, that developed into what we call technocracy, which is the idea that we can erect basically a scientific government, hence the term scientific dictatorship. And for most of the population, for the public, science for them is just a new type of religion. They just defer to authorities. And this is what we call scientism. Yeah. Meanwhile, there's kind of a separate breakaway civilization notion of what science, true science is. And a lot of that's hidden and suppressed and covered up while there's a kind of a pop version of, of science that's just basically kind of like social engineering. And that gets people to believe in all kinds of absurd myths like Darwinism or like that species magically transform into the opposite of themselves or that, um, you know, there's multiverses with uh, dragons and any kind of thing that you can think up. Uh, that's all quote science, supposedly, which is all nonsense and contradicts one another. Um, but real uh, science would be tech and engineering. And so that's what's so guarded and so important, you know, for the Fortune 100, for the Silicon Valley elites is the latest engineering technology. Meanwhile, people are given this sort of fantastical mythology level, fairy tale level of science, which is, you know, equivalent to Greek myths. And that's what most people, and that's actually covered in Brave New World. There's a whole section in the story Brave New World where the uh, people are confronting one of the, the dictators and they point out that there are things that were covered up and suppressed that are real science and that people were being given fake science and the dictator says yeah we know that <laughs> and we do that on purpose so uh, uh, basically you have a group of people uh, coming out of the west coming out of the british empire people like bertrand russell hg wells lord birkenhead the, the darwins the galtons the huxleys uh, and they they had a, an inner core uh, that was funded by the rothschilds uh, it was connected to the diamond mining uh, in terms of uh, Cecil Rhodes. Uh, and that's how they gained a lot of their wealth and power. They also had a lot of uh, interest in terms of banking. Mm -hmm. They set up the Bank of England and so forth. And so that was the guiding ideology of the British Empire. And the philosophy, you could say, was kind of a Masonic, Freemasonic materialism. And it, it basically morphed into the what's called the Anglosphere or the Anglo-American Empire of the US, UK, uh, and Israel. And so the philosophy of this uh, of system is essentially, as we said, a kind of uh, crass uh, evolutionary materialism. And the proponents, as we mentioned, would also be people like Jonas Salk, in more recent times, Frithof Kapra, Jacques Attali, um, Zbigniew Brzezinski, Miles Copeland, Arthur Kessler, um, all of these pretty well-known geopolitical writers, Henry Kissinger, uh, they're all pretty much on board with the idea of creating a, a as I said, a uh, global government that's uh, severely depopulated and is run more by computers, basically. Right. Um, 
So I have a couple of questions from that, but one of the things I'd love you to touch on is Darwin, because I think that that is widely misunderstood. Um, and I think it's also used, uh, I think it's weaponized uh, his theory in many yeah, ways. Absolutely. Yeah. So well, you... the, the, the so-called uh, theory of origins actually was turned into a mythology for the British Empire to basically give a uh, justification for the subjugation of everyone to the British Empire because the British Empire uh, represents the incarnation of the most evolved form of humanity. And so all of the other races or groups or peoples needed to be subjugated and be, in, be given, quote, civilization because they weren't as evolved. So it's literally a, a, a totally political made up mythology that's appropriated by the Imperium as a form of uh, propaganda and apologetics. So from there, though, uh, it, it is related closely to social Darwinism, which uh, works very well with monopolistic capitalism. And the, the idea there being just simply that if you can get away with it in terms of econo the economy, then uh, there's nothing inherently wrong or, or immoral about basically enslaving the world through debt, ripping everyone off, uh, committing gigantic you know, financial fraud, scams, and that's really what the last hundred years of monopoly capitalism has shown is that that's how they, they run the world. Right. Economically speaking. So that's you... social Darwinism, right? I mean, in other words, right. the, the survival of the economic fittest. Sure, sure. Uh, and we're, we're seeing, I, I, I think we're seeing a little bit of a, a forced uh, manifestation of that. Not necessarily truly survival of the fittest or a true free market. Um, you know, I, I think that's where a lot of the people who used to argue against, you know, capitalism versus socialism, you know, the, the problem with that is that capitalism is not corporatocracy. It's not, you know, technocracy. <laughs> you know, it's true. It, the true idea of capitalism was supposed to be a free market of ideas, um, which we are not seeing currently. Um, but I'm curious what, in terms of you, you feel that it was a made up theory. So how do you think that that originated? And like, what do you think? Well, we know where it comes that? from. Uh, right, we know fact, who, uh, but yeah. Well, the, the predecessors to Charles Darwin himself, right? There were people ahead of him that had the theory. And actually the theory goes back to uh, famous Freemasons as well as the ancient pagan world. So it's actually an ancient um, Indian theory. It's, it was in uh, Egypt and it, it's literally just out of these myths that, uh, you know, basically the lightning bolts of the gods hit mud and then it, you know, it, man somehow accidentally sprung, sprung from that. Uh, or in the ancient Egyptian myths, it was the tears of Isis or something. It, it's all the same kind of just made up gibberish, repackaged as a, an attempt to have a completely naturalistic explanation of consciousness, of the rise of man, of, of the origins of life and so forth. And, and the, the greatest irony is that it's all premised under a system of empiricism that we just go by sense data and nobody has any direct empirical sense data of what happened at the beginning of the world. So it's a theory, it's a made up system that attempts to give an interpretation to different pieces of data, similarity between this species and that species, similarity in DNA, this kind of stuff. But again, it's all based on the presupposition. So the system is only as good as the presuppositions. And uh, if you really dig into the assumptions and presuppositions of Darwinism, it falls apart really quickly. Right. So you were saying how now we're seeing mostly the uh, social Darwinism, uh, which I think in many ways is kind of the origins of uh, critical theory and this 
social justice movement that you know certainly not new, but we're seeing in a very full force right now currently. Uh, so I was very fascinated with the origin of you know the Communist Manifesto and how the, it didn't make a whole lot of sense that this really originated with Karl Marx. And the more I dug into it, it seems that the League of the Just actually commissioned Engels and Marx to write in their, you know, uh, they're another iteration of the League of the Outlaws. And it actually goes all the way back to Adam Weisshoft. Um, so I'm curious a little bit on how those tie together and how Marx came to be you know, the one that kind of took the helm on that. And also, I always find this really fascinating. I've always been super fascinated with the, you know, our founding fathers, I think a lot of people attribute to, you know, the, certainly their brilliance and their awareness of human nature. And I think a lot of people look at them as being so prophetic. And what struck me is that I think it wasn't just that they were prophetic, which certainly they you know, they were brilliant. And I think they created a, you know, really unique and I think the best system that we have uh, politically. But they, I think they were actually fighting a lot of the same forces we're currently fighting. And one of the things that alludes, you know, indicates that for me is that Adam Weiss formed the Illuminati in 1776, like the official formation of it. Uh, which I don't. Yeah, but well, the the, the uh, unfortunate thing about the founding fathers, and certainly they didn't get everything wrong, and certainly they had some good points, and there was definitely similarity in terms of the banking elites that they were fighting and calling out, and what we are facing today. But the the inadequacy of their position is that the solution that they had was just another form of the revolution. So you're right to go back to Weishaupt, but remember that Weishaupt himself, according to Quigley and other writers, was funded by the European banking houses. So communism and socialism are uh, very excellent wrecking ball tools for the elite. They're, they've always been tools for very wealthy, very powerful groups to destabilize or to basically break down and centralize and funnel up a, uh, a nation or an economy or whatever the target uh, population is, is needs to be vampirically sucked basically out of them. So. If you wanted to destroy a country, what you do is that you fund the revolutionary socialist movements, which you control, which they have no power apart from the money who funds them. Nobody ever asks, like, where, where do these revolutionary groups get their money and their funding? Nope. Um, then we find out, of course, that in the history of revolutionary thought, whether it's, it's Weishaupt, or whether it's Mazzini, or whether it's any of these uh, uh, Antonio Gramsci, or whether it's uh, Marx and Engels, they always have very wealthy uh, capitalist stock owning banking benefactors and that's because they're tools of the elite to destroy and then when you destroy the country through communism and socialism then you come in and you buy it up pennies out of the dollar because you destroyed it vertically integrating everything and all the wealth of that nation is yours so it's it's a great uh, ideological um, wrecking ball it's, it's a form of economic warfare it's a form of ideological warfare it's a form of even um, biological warfare in, in a sense because it destroys the whole society uh, and by the way, the, what I'm saying, though, is that, um, you know, is, you can't heal this or fix this with just another dialectical side of the revolution. And in the, in the founding of America, that's just the right wing revolutionaries, as opposed to the left wing Jacobin revolutionaries in France. So if you both have, if you have two revolutionary systems with the same presuppositions, you're just going to get more revolution. And the problem is revolution itself. Okay, so that's what I'm saying. Uh, Thomas Jefferson 
not any better than Adam Bishop. I mean, they both have the same philosophy and, and presupposition. Sure. So what do you see as being more uh, a better solution? I mean, I, oh, I agree with you. Revolution is not the answer. And I, I think a lot of people, uh, especially now, we're seeing a lot of people think, you know, revolution, revolution. <laughs> um, no, no, but I'm not, I'm talking about the, the philosophy of revolution. Yeah, no, I, so, I, I get so that. All yeah. of modern, right. So all of modern society yeah. comes out of the enlightenment and the revolutions of that time period, the Protestant revolution, the, the enlightenment, the scientific revolution, the socialist revolutions, which then start soon after that. And then what the idea of revolution is what you mentioned critical theory. I mean, the, the modern Marxist critical theorists are just continuations of the revolutionary tradition because they understand that revolution is perpetual. Right. There's, a, there's no end to the, the revolution doesn't have an end goal. The revolution is the, the goal itself. It's cyclical. It's, yeah. It's huh? a, it's, yeah. I, I, so you're not getting to a goal. That's why at the beginning of uh, Brave New World, Aldous Huxley says, Brave New World is the final revolution. It's the revolution against man himself. So transhumanism is the end result. Posthumanism is the end result of the perpetual revolution. And in fact, reviewing 1984, O'Brien even says that to Winston. He says the revolution has no end. <laughs> Winston. Yeah, I see it's always it. meant to, to go on. Right. It's, so, in, in other words, you need a better worldview, a better metaphysics. So, to answer your question, I would say I believe yeah. in the Christian worldview and a Christian uh, Orthodox Christian philosophy, which has a place for the state. So, I'm not an anarcho-libertarian. I believe that there should be uh, a role for the state to um, to instantiate the will of the people. Yeah. I know that some some Sorry, say that last part again. I didn't catch that. So the 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 orth, I'm an Orthodox Christian, so I believe right. in a a symphonia that of church and state working together in their respective spheres in an ideally governed society. Right. So so that could allow for again uh, a good yeah it could allow for a good degree of market freedom. So if you read somebody like Hans Hermann Hoppe, he believes that actually monarchism is more compatible with. Um, a free market than republicanism or democracy. Oh, interesting. How, how would that be more aligned with the uh, free markets? Because theoretically you could have a, a limited role of the state that doesn't require, in other words, the bureaucracies develop from uh, republics and democracies. It becomes a uh, perpetual uh, political system, the political class turns into a bureaucracy by the very nature of what it's supposed to do, which is to control all these aspects of society. So in other words, there's no reason why somehow a republic is fundamentally uh, better or uh, more limited than even a, even a, a, a monarchy because the monarch is not, uh, has a duty to uh, a lifelong position, whereas the politician has a duty to secure the next vote. And so he's more of a slave to his uh, donors and to um, sounding good to the people, whereas a monarch has the duty to maintain the entire tradition of the whole nation and of the people group. So that's why, again, revolutionary philosophy is only as good as the, the system that it's based on. And all revolutionary thought in the modern era is based on atheism, Marxism, materialism, perpetual revolution so if 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 it's not the case that reality is perpetual flux then you can't have a philosophy of perpetual revolution it's not going to work right so when we were talking about uh like you know critical theory and marxism 
I've, I'm curious about the combination, like the, the connection between, we certainly know a lot about the Frankfurt School and how they, you know, infiltrated through all of the, the five pillars of, you know, the five institutions, um, the long march through the institutions. And we're now starting to, I think it's becoming more widely known, they roll the Tavistock plays. Um, and I'm very, you know, their, their mission seems quite aligned and I'm curious, and I, there seems to be some overlap. Do you know how they're connected? Yeah, I know all about it. I studied under people from the Frankfurt School. Pardon? I studied under people. My graduate advisor was from the Frankfurt School. So yeah, I know okay. all about it. So can you tell us a little bit about how they're connected to the Tavistock Institute of Human Relations? Because the same Western intelligence agencies and powers, the OSS and the CIA, is who uh, drafted the critical theorists to create the degenerate art. Awesome. And so what do Bertrand you- Bertrand Russell said, we need to use the critical theorists. The OSS helped the critical theory Marxist, Frankfurt Marxist defect to the West. And the whole reason for that was to destroy fascism. To destroy fascism. And then it gets uh, co-opted further beyond after World War II, it becomes a thing of, Okay, well now let's uh, destroy uh, any notion of Soviet realism through all this degenerate art, and that's why the CIA funded all of the Congress for, Congress for Cultural Freedom, uh, Jackson Pollock, uh, Andy Warhol, uh, every form of deconstructionism and in, in language and linguistics. They went and partnered with uh, French nihilists, uh, Derrida, all those people uh, to deconstruct and destroy any notion of realism under the guise of freedom and the arts. So the degeneration of the arts is a CIA project to combat supposedly the, the, the Soviets in the Cold War. Right. So that, that leads me to my next question also is the, the new world order, you know, and we see that in terms of the, you know, the, the, the structure that's really trying to put us under the one world government. Can you talk a little bit about the role of the, the global elites and where do China and Russia fall into the, the plan, I guess? Um, so Russia was one of the two uh, oppositions to the Anglo-American establishment that uh, the Western elites said had to be destroyed in the 20th century. And so the, the whole of the 20th century, it's two world wars and the Cold War was a plan to weaken and exhaust and destroy the two rivals to the Anglo establishment, the Holy Roman Empire, uh, the Austro-Hungarian Empire and Russia. And so World War One, World War Two, and the Cold War succeeded in doing those things. And then you had basically after the Cold War, the raping and looting of Russia through the collapse of the of the KGB and the implementation of uh, Yeltsin who was a Western agent to help basically loot Russia uh, during the 90s. And then the kind of uh, pushback to limited degrees with Putin. So I don't think that Russia is completely under the um, thumb of the Anglosphere. They kind of yeah. try to distance themselves and at the same time try to play ball uh, because it's very difficult to break away from the Western IMF World Bank power structure. Yeah. And then China is a little bit of a different thing because China was destroyed under the aid of uh, uh, Bill Donovan training Mao's guerrillas. So it was actually the OSS that 
set Mao up. Mao was actually an, a, a Yale operative. He was called a Yali, Yale in, in, in China. And uh, he received his training and support through his soldiers, his, his cultural revolution, precisely from the OSS, the very same people that were importing the Frankfurt School degenerates into America. So that's what's going on here is that the, the West is using these people like Mao to destroy and integrate into the technocratic global system, which is not identical to America or America's, you know, puppet elite or its presidents. There's a higher degree of, of power structure above all that frontispiece theater. And that's the global cult, you could say, that runs the, the, the majority of the globe. And so they see China as a model. It's not that they care about China or Chinese people. China is just a piece on the chessboard mm -hmm. to be used to weaken the West. It's already been done largely in, in the last century through the uh, industrialization and moving industry to China by design. That was done uh, by Royal Society Plan and Design, uh, Walmart in China, all these kinds of things are great examples of that. And so China is just a chess piece to be used to weaken and destroy the same way that things like Islam is used as a chess piece to weaken and destroy uh, Europe. It's not that the global elite like Islam, it's just a way to do certain things in certain regions. So while China might be used at the present time to weaken and destroy the West, eventually the depopulation narrative uh, necessitates the depopulation by 2050 of all peoples. Right. Um, how can people become, you, you talked about, you know, this is really the, the occult is kind of the, the epicenter of all of the controlling forces and using, I guess, if you look at it at a, as like a, a chessboard to some degree, you know, and they're moving the pegs, they're using these other pieces as pawns to serve, you know, their agenda, which is really right. to have mass control. Um, right. And, you know, and you can look at it, I, I always say you can look at it transhumanism, even if I, I think there's lots of evidence, you know, scientifically speaking, certainly, uh, but even if we just look at it spiritually speaking, the they want to destroy the free will of humanity. And that's mm. on a very kind of sure. basic level. And personally, I believe that's one of the reasons they feel they have to attack America, because uh, America is unique in, you know, it's Judeo-Christian found, Judeo foundings. Um, and having that woven into our founding documents and those principles predicate that, you know, we, man has free will um, and that's woven into our structure, uh, you know, the very core of our uh, existence as a nation, which is in some ways unique from other countries. And I think they want to deracinate us be, for that reason, because that is a-, a, a Yeah, so the, yeah the, the good elements, even though I was critical of uh, the American Founding Fathers and the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, there are good elements in those. And even though they were an earlier form of the revolution, the way the critical theorists speak is that the revolution is perpetual. So you must always critique the previous revolution and the future revolution will critique your revolution. That's the nature of perpetual critique. And so uh, it's called culture critique and it's perpetual, it's never changed. So there's a critique, there's a critique of the critique and a critique of the critique of the critique and it keeps going and it's just a wrecking ball, like a snowball going down a hill in a cartoon. It just destroys everything in its path and it never ends. And so, uh, uh, yes, I agree that there are good principles and elements in the American Constitution and, and Founding Fathers. But today's revolution of necessity must critique and destroy even that. And 
can you explain a little more, you know, expound on that? Well, what are your thoughts on that? What does that look like? And how would that be done? Well, it's what you just said. It's everything that we're seeing. So whatever was good in the American founding fathers and documents now has to be destroyed because that's, that was just an older version of the revolution. Interesting. So, so every generation has to re-revolutionize and it doesn't matter how good or bad the previous generation's revolution was you have mm -hmm. to destroy it that's what marx's critical theory is it's it's perpetual revolution meaning you have to destroy your previous revolutionary buddies uh, right but are, are you advocating for that that that's what we should do now destroy that no, i'm or just stating what revolutionary philosophy does right yeah sure that, that i'm is saying right. that they of necessity do this because that's their operating system Yes. No, I, I absolutely would agree with that. That then that's no, why. I don't believe in any revolutionary philosophy. Okay. At all. <laughs> I, yeah, I did. I didn't think so. That's, that's what I was clarifying. Yeah. So what no, revolutionary philosophies are just tools to dupe dummies to do things that the elite want. That's it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's a, you know, this sure, surefire way to be able to control everybody. If you breathe, if you create chaos and uh, you know, a, a complete, a revolution leads to anarchy, which is a complete chaotic state. And then, you know, you need to have some sort of order. So it's a breeding ground for usurpation. And that's why, that's how communist subversion works. So we've, and we've seen that every time. And it's, but it's not, but I would add that it's not merely a communist thing because for example, America and the fortune 100 will, they will foist and support color revolutions. It was Reagan's CIA foisting free market neoliberalism in all the former Soviet bloc countries, not to free them, but to just bring them into the Western technocratic ethos and to export all the degeneracy that you're talking about. So in other words, what a lot, I'm not accusing you, but a lot of people misunderstand and think that critical theory is, and Frankfurt School Marxism is somehow connected to Moscow and the KGB. It's not, they were brought over here to oppose Stalinism and Sovietism, right? And that's why the CIA adopted Frankfurt School Marxists. This is what I'm not saying to you, but a lot of people can't get this to their head. They think, oh, uh, we in the West are fighting communism and Marxism. That's only partially true. It's not. It's again, the OSS brought in all of these Frankfurt School Marxists and trained Mao's guerrillas to have the Maoist revolution. Okay. And so the Cold War is the CIA adopting revolutionary degeneracy to so supposedly battle the Soviets, mm -hmm. but it was a longer game plan mm -hmm. to have a complete change in the social order through pop culture and all of that stuff, right? That's why the 60s counterculture yeah. was not a bunch of Marxists. There might've been dummies on the ground, right? Who were in some... 60s band who i'm a marxist dude we gotta overthrow the man that was being directed from up, up top by people like timothy leary who was working for the cia okay so that's why people can't i'm not saying you but people get caught up in this and they think well is it are we fighting marxists or are we fighting right-wing cia neocons it doesn't matter neocons are marxists they're trotskyites neoconservatism is yeah. from trotsky yeah uh, oh i i absolutely agree with that Oh, sorry. Okay, so all of the, all of what we are talking about here is a top-down yes. plan. And it the ideologies that we're talking about are just like little operating systems, right? So the, again, the, the Fortune 100 companies 
under Reagan, they wanted, and Reagan via also with Soros, it was actually Soros who was part of that plan to export color revolutions, supposedly as free markets to the, to the former Soviet bloc countries. And the other architect of that was Zbigniew Brzezinski, it's called the Ark of Crisis. And they know that, ne that, open, that open free market liber neoliberalism is a tool of destruction and, and chaos as well. And that's what I'm not saying you, but a lot of people in the West don't understand that they can't grasp that. So this was, that's why it was amazing that uh, Tucker had this whole segment on color revolutions being a CIA tool of Western markets, neoliberalism and destabilization. So he vindicated what we've been talking about for a decade. Right, right. No, I, I actually, I say, uh, I, I think I tweeted this a couple of months ago that, you know, I look at it like, if you look in this country, the, you know, certainly the uh, communists or the, the control groups, we can just call them, uh, they, they align with the ideology of the left. Uh, but I've, if you look historically in this country, I think they actually advance their agenda further through uh, the establishment right, because the establishment right is parroting things that, you know, mm -hmm. the patriots want to hear, you know, they're... But today's conservatives are just the liberals of 10 years ago. Yeah, I guess the, the spectrum has shifted quite a bit, quite a bit. But even if you look back through history, I, I you know, through the, the presidents, you, you can see... And, and not just the president, because that's just the, the top-down structure. Um, when I when I think of it, I think you know it's not that it's uh, that the Western world uh, is not complicit in a lot of this. It's I, I don't see it as a it's not the Republicans versus the Democrats when you look in this country, so, or even you know geopolitically conservative liberals. I think it's a uh, the people versus the elites. That's really that's the power structure, um, and the elites. I. I think are using, they use this, they use all of these different uh, entities. Maybe you can talk a little bit about that. I think that's a little bit, uh, I know you've done a lot of work into uh, a deep dive into Quigley's work and he certainly goes through the rings on ring structure. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that that's very confusing for a lot of people. I think it's a little incredulous for a lot of people as well, you know, that there's really how does that power structure actually work and who is running the show? Well, there's a great infographic that somebody typed up. Mm -hmm. It's a big uh, giant picture and it yes. shows where it shows the trilateral commission people. Yep. It shows Bilderberg people and it shows the CFR and it's all the same people. And that graph is just media. So that's just one side of the pyramid of the media, corporate media elite. Mm -hmm. and they're all part of the same committees and groups and meetings guess what? It's no different in banking. It's no different in pharmaceuticals. It's no different in tech. So all the areas of society are structured that same way. And they all are part of those same groups and steering committees. So that's how it works. So it doesn't matter that you can find some, say, revolutionary group within the side of the pyramid that deals with chaos, because that revolutionary group has to have some kind of funding. And where are they getting their funding? Well, revolutionary groups always get their funding from powerful, wealthy financial elites, banking elites, tax-free foundations it doesn't matter so that's the point is that there is a level of battle and disagreement and fight at certain strata of the pyramid but at the top they don't care because in the end the end goal goal is going to be the same whoever comes out on top because they simply control the funding for all these different groups and you can do the same thing with cults or new age groups or 
um, different secret societies, right, or satanic groups, they're going to fit into this pyramid in the same way because they're going to have the same funding, the same donors, and the same members. Right, sure. And it doesn't matter that they aren't aware of who funds them or who's above them or who in their groups might be part of other groups. That's irrelevant to how it's structured. Right. Um, so do you talk a little bit, we started with media. Could you talk a little bit about the media and how, uh, I think we're seeing right now, maybe we've always had it, but I think it's becoming a more pervasive or maybe more transparent. Uh, a lot of these movements of, uh, you know, I, I guess, uh, you know, controlled opposition forces that are working. And, and you alluded to this, that's essentially what you're saying with like how people don't understand how uh, the CIA, you know, uh, is controlling, you know, is working really against what you would think would be yeah. the principle, right? right. Yeah. Because they're basically worker bees of the banking elite. They're not America's first and f finest out there to protect America. There right. might be a, a strata of people in the CIA who are, who are there to do that or believe they're doing that or they're sincere patriots. But at the top, uh, it's, no, it's compromised uh, uh, globalist elites. So, um, yeah, I mean, a great, uh, great book to prove this point is William uh, Ingdahl's book, Full Spectrum Dominance. It's probably one of the best, most accessible books that makes this point, which is just to point out how the Western elite run the world through all of these different layers and strata of systems. So it's systems within systems. And um, again, it doesn't mean they control everything in the world, but <clears throat> they do have the upper hand when it comes to uh, a large portion of the globe. And it goes back to what's called the uh, heartland rimland theory of uh, Halford Mackinder. He was a British imperial geopolitical strategist, Lord Halford Mackinder. And he basically divided the world up in the sea power, land power, heartland, rimland. And he said, if you wanted to control the world, you need to control the Eurasian landmass. Uh, whoever controls that can control the world. So that became kind of the guiding philosophy of the British Empire and, and their strategy. And then the Pax Americana, when it kind of took the place of the British Empire, that became the, the, the strategy of the American Imperium. Now, again, I don't mean America in the sense of the uh, limited government, non-interventionist uh, stance of the founding fathers. I mean, after the CFR Trilateral Commission basically moved America into being an imperial game player. And this happens basically around right after the time Woodrow Wilson, when he signs on to what his banking masters wanted him to do. Again, Colonel Edwin Mandel House wrote a whole book about this. Uh, and so that you get after that time period in the 20s and 30s, America has been gradually basically pulled further and further and further into being this um, tool of a very wealthy uh, higher strata of families and banking elites, Rockefeller, JP Morgan, uh, Rhodes, Royal Institute of International Affairs, uh, uh, Rothschilds, etc. These These families basically have uh, controlling interest in the country by around the turn of the century into the 20s and 30s. So that's who's making the, the sure. calling the shots. Yep. Uh, and it really hasn't changed a whole lot in terms of the power structure, except that we've added on kind of new sectors like Silicon Valley to be uh, central to this uh, game plan, as well as uh, pharmaceuticals, right? So big pharma and Silicon Valley have kind of been added as pillars of this of this system 
Um, but even the, even uh, uh, you know Silicon Valley basically comes out of the the American military industrial complex. That's where it, that's why it was set up there. So it's just an adjunct, really, ultimately of the American military industrial complex deep state. Uh, all of California basically is that. And um, you know the pharmaceutical companies uh, have a similar origin in you know kind of the Rockefeller control of medicine. So they bought off uh, and controlled all the medical structure in the U.S. with the establishment of the American Psychiatric Institute, American Psychological Institute, American Dental Institute. Uh, they created the United Nations. They created all that. That's all from that power structure, that family, for the most part. And so that's they're the titans. They're the ones who, you know, for the 20th century, called the shots and gave us the world that we have. In terms of strategy, it's the Rand Corporation. The Rand Cor Corporation basically created modern America. And that was the brains behind transitioning us from a, a industrial economy, a production economy to a service economy. I mean, that's all detailed in Alex Abea's history of the Rand Corporation. That's, that's who did it. And they didn't do it themselves. They did it at the behest of the families and the power elite that run and control them. So that's, that's what's going on here. It's not... It's not hard to figure out. It's not rocket science. You know, you watch Dr. Strangelove. That's who is the Rand Corporation is about. Sure, sure. Um, so, yeah, so you've done, uh, obviously, lots of work on, uh, you know, how the elite has kind of infiltrated through Hollywood and uh, done lots of conditioning. Uh, what do you think is, I, I think they're doing a lot more, uh foreshadowing and foretelling, uh, you know, in a much more transparent way, or maybe mm. people are just becoming more aware. Uh, but, it, you know, you, we've always seen signs throughout uh, yeah. entertainment. And uh, yeah, so what, what do you think some of that transparency or where do you think they're going now? What is that direction going to look like? And what do you think the purpose of that infiltration in Hollywood is now? Well, uh, pretty early on with the invention of the camera, they could tell that this was going to be a powerful tool for propaganda. So some of the earliest films and, and movies, you know, in the first few decades of the camera related to propaganda. Um, so war footage, wartime propaganda. Uh, and so it didn't take very long before the power of Hollywood was basically marshaled by the, the, the American power structure or the Western elites. Uh, I mean, it, people like... Uh, Hitchcock filmed uh, propaganda films for the British, British Ministry of Information. Um, you had people like uh, the heads of the studios, uh, uh, 20th Century Fox, uh, going to, uh, at that time, the Office of Wartime Intelligence, OWI, and saying, use us for anything you want. So <clears throat> there's always been a, a pretty deep, uh, intimate connection between the studios, Hollywood's machinery, uh, and um, military intelligence, naval intelligence, uh, uh, the Pentagon, eventually the OSS and CIA. And I mean, this extended even to the point of famous actors and actresses literally being spies. Uh, many, many cases of this. And it wasn't just the US, other countries did the same, same thing. Uh, Stalin had a very, very famous actress. I always forget her name because it's some wild, long Russian name, but um, she was like, right one of hitler's closest friends and she was a longtime um, stalin spy uh, other 
famous actresses in Russia, other famous German actresses uh, did spying on the side. Uh, so this is this is old. There's nothing new to this. It's like gone mm -hmm. on for a long time. It's just a lot of people don't know this. Right. Uh, so many of the most famous British spies were also stage actors. So um, Noel Coward, for example, um, this has always been the case. And, and it's, it's easiest, it's most easily seen in uh, Ian Fleming because Ian Fleming was a famous naval intelligence uh, psyops guy for the British uh, Navy. And then he writes James Bond and James Bond becomes a huge image and tool of propaganda. So I did my graduate work on how James Bond is Cold War propaganda. Um, learned a lot about the relationship between Hollywood and, and movies through no better example than James Bond. Uh, and that's why in most of the Fleming Bond stories, as well as the non-Fleming Bond stories, the more modern ones, you find a, you know, reality there. And so that that's actually not something that Hollywood invented, actually British spy fiction uh, did this a hundred years ago because they couldn't through their uh, official secrets act, put anything out publicly as fact. Well, they would just tell their stories in fiction. Wow, I didn't know that, that that's fascinating. Yeah, you, you can go to the CIA's website and read about the history of British spy fiction and it will tell you that they've always encoded uh, stories into, the, into their quote fiction, re real events into fiction. So that's why I had to write right, esoteric Hollywood and esoteric Hollywood too, is because there's there's so much of this. I mean, not just I, spy fiction, but but uh, all across the board. So really, it turns out that, uh, and I don't mean to ruin movies. I'm a huge, I love movies, but um, you know, a lot of movies are propaganda. A lot of them are, um, you know, functioning at this uh, at this level. Yeah, absolutely. Um... Yeah, I, I come from, I was an actress, producer, I come from that oh, world. Cool. Um, yeah, so, um, so I very much, but it is very, you can see even, you know, I obviously never got to the, you know, A-list uh, level. So, but even from the periphery, you can see uh, a lot of, you can feel the That's darkness. probably a good thing because it seems like most A-list people have to be totally degenerate or compromised or insane or <laughs> multiple personality disorder. I mean, I don't, I'm just saying. No, so, I, and I, good I, thing I almost, that you didn't get there. <laughs> I, I, I feel I was spared. I actually, uh, a little fun fact about me that when I was seven years old, the CIA tried to recruit me. And uh, I, I always say in hindsight, I think my soul was spared. Um, now, now knowing more about, you know, I obviously at seven didn't really know what the CIA did, but uh, so, but I feel the same way uh, about Hollywood. And I've always said that I feel there's, I obviously can't prove this, but I feel like there's some sort of a entry barrier that is really dark. Um, you know, like that there's a reason people do end up uh, so much of the Hollywood elites ends up, you know, on drugs or, you know, having mental health issues or, uh, you know, to me, that doesn't sound like just a coincidence of being an entertainer, right? Like, exactly. yeah, entertainment is a, being a performer is an art, it's an art form. And that is actually, in a lot of ways, a very healthy, cathartic, uh, you know, I, it doesn't seem like a, a direct causality to me that, you know, just because you're an, an, you're an artist that you suddenly should end up with all of these kinds of, uh, I guess, dark uh, you know, results. So, and I very much see that. So I, yeah, I think uh, maybe the way to think of it is more like uh, 
um, being part of a uh, sorority or fraternity in a way mm -hmm. because yep. everybody I knows use that, that analogy a lot. Actually, yeah, to, to yep. go into the sorority or fraternity requires them to know dirt on you. You know, you mm -hmm. got to confess to your sorority sisters or brothers, you know, all your sexual sins and all this stuff. If you know about the like skull and bones ritual or whatever, and then yeah. they know about you and then uh, there's dirt on you and blah, 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 blah. And you've, you've made these oaths and these kind of, so I think that's a good analogy to how intelligence agencies work. It's some writers have even called it the cult of intelligence. It's, the, it's similar to how, um, well, just think about, uh, you know, police officers, right? We, yeah. Even the local police have this fraternal order of police whereby they commit, you know, to uh, uh, prefer their police brothers over everyone else. And ironically, the fraternal order of police is itself a Masonic organization. So Freemasonry right, has, shares a lot of similarities to secret, other secret societies, to networks, to fraternities, to mm -hmm. um, um to intelligence agencies and in fact the, the british the, the freemasonry actually was the intelligence network of the british empire that was the function it served right right do have you seen the movie uh the man who would be king i haven't no uh, i highly recommend watching this because it shows at the same time how the because they're basically kind of like these con artists spy men michael kane and sean connery Okay. Uh, and they're famous sort of Freemasons. And, and the, the movie shows, on the one hand, how they did con artistry and psyops on the behalf of the British Empire and how they function as spies for Freemason networks. Oh, wow. As well as how it's all just absurd. So <laughs> I, I, I highly recommend if, if everybody wants a good analogy to what I just said, go watch The Man Who Would Be King and also watch uh, The Good Shepherd with Matt Damon because that has him being inducted in a real kind of um, uh, skull and bone style initiation into at that time, what was the newly founded uh, OSS. Okay, yeah, I'll definitely check that out. Have uh, you not seen Good, uh, Good Shepherd? Say, say that one again. The Good Shepherd, the Matt Damon, Robert De Niro movie. Have you yeah. not seen that? Yeah. 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 So if you remember, he gets inducted and he has to tell his sexual secrets and they all pee on him. Right. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> but that's real. That's a real, you know, skull and bones initiation. Which so many of our uh, political leaders, we that this is not a theory. This is not. This is full public disclosure. We know that, well, and, them and we know about Epstein now, and we know that it was a compromise operation, and we know that that's you know you got all these A list people flying to the islands. Yeah, exactly. No brainer. Yeah, yeah, right, right, exactly. So I, I'm curious. Speaking of. I have so many questions trying to figure out which one next. Um, but speaking of like compromise, um, I, I was thinking about how, so now in Hollywood, they're pushing very hard that, you know, everybody who all, even in non-union productions, low level, you're going to have to be injected. Um, and, you know, of course we, again, we don't know exactly where that goes, but, you know, there's lot, we definitely have lots of evidence to support that there's a possibility that this is part of the transhuman uh, agenda and uh, mechanism rather. Uh, and there's possibility of controlling. So interesting, the interworkings of the, you know, spies, right? The history, the historical implications of, uh, you know, the entertainers being the spy agents and now them possibly being controlled uh, it, it, regardless of what way they're being controlled, whether it's just this, uh, 
conditioning of you have to do this in order to be a part of our group uh or if it's you know more sinister and nefarious than that um uh, but I'm, I, don't, I don't know about that i would assume it's just uh conditioning just the conditioning do, do, ha, i mean that would you, be my assumption do you think that the injection is not no no, no. you said in a specific case of actors and people mm -hmm. being forced to take it i was saying that's i don't think there's any specific reason why they're telling union actors and, and producers or whatever that it's for everybody. So, but yeah, well, I've done multiple, I've done multiple talks on how I believe there is a um, synthetic, uh, you know, mutation component. Yeah, very much. Yeah. And I mean, the, the science supports that really that this isn't very far fetched. I mean, there's the magneto fiction. I, I just wrote a whole article on uh, the shedding transmission component of the right. injections uh and uh when you look at that in order to have it transmit you you see the mechanisms of why there's magnet magnetofection in it a lot of that is to transmit the rna through the spike proteins it, it's part of the actual delivery system yes I, uh, I've, I've read all the. i don't okay. know for a fact but yeah, I've no, read, no no I've, it's all, not I've, I've read all the things that that is that is alleged to be the case yes yeah and i i and my article doesn't pose it, it it's just putting the theories based on the right, research yeah. yeah it's not this is we any i think anybody who says they know for sure one way or the other you know that that has to be a lie we, we don't have enough time to know one way or the other but you know logic is fast science is slow so we and the way that scientific method right. works as opposed as to scientistology you know so the scientific method is you have a hypothesis you have to have a theory in order for it to be tested nothing can be discovered if you don't test a theory right so there has to be the theory first that's the process um and theory should be founded in research and being you know at least at the very least circumstantial evidence um so Absolutely. but i was just saying if that is the yeah. case then there is the possibility that there is control mind control you know sure. as a result of these and so then there's a possibility they could control further control these agents uh i just think that that's it oh i see what you're saying yeah that was where i was going with that i don't know that that's the necessarily the intention uh but that could be an interesting outcome if it does go in that direction you know right again it's just a posing that as an interesting kind of well i think it's just this is just for everybody right this so mm -hmm. this is a kind of experiment to see you know whatever this is supposed to do if it will do this on the mass population right so when I was so where I was going with the the compromise uh, uh, concept is uh, I think a lot of people who you know Trump was very much a lot of people see him as kind of a populist uh, leader you know uh, as opposed to a lot of our previous uh, presidents and mm -hmm. I think that's kind of what was unique about him and I think a lot of the people who were not necessarily traditionally uh, Republican or even conservative, but who mm. supported Trump, it was because of this populist, you know, the, the we the people type movement. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them are very disappointed with how hard he has pushed this injection. And, you know, we know his involvement with the Operation Warp Speed, and obviously he's very proud of that. And logistically, that is incredibly impressive. You know, I, I won't discredit the, the logistical uh, execution of that. <laughs> uh, because you know to do something like that so quickly but i what are your thoughts on why he's pushing that so hard if he 
knew that there could be any deleterious uh, results from this uh, injection? And uh, do you think that he knew that it could be part of a depopulation program? I think it's very interesting. I don't know. I don't, I mean. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I think it's because I think it's interesting that he actually ran on a platform of, you know, he talked, he was very against vaccines in general. Yeah. So I thought that was. Yeah. I don't know what kind of pressures were exerted or, you know, anything like that was probably the case, but uh, yeah, I definitely disagree with uh, Trump on that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are very disappointed with it. I, you know, I think he has kind of, he's recognized that and he has Mm -hmm. tried to push the, you know, medical freedom uh, angle um, more as of late, which hopefully we'll see more of that. Because I, 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 I always say if there's a hill to die on, I think that this is the hill to die on. Um, <laughs> that people should really fight back against the, you know, being forced to have be anything. Forced, yeah, yeah right. absolutely. You know, just like you shouldn't be forced to take any drug of any kind. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's your body is your temple and uh, it should be treated as such. And people should be able to have that again, free will. That's really ultimately what it boiled down to. Um, So you've done a lot. I, you've done a lot of work on the uh, alien uh, psyop, you know, potentials that we might be seeing. Uh, And it's so funny uh, (laughs) because I always say that what, what better way for, the, them to convince us that we need a one world government then to and to unite under that then extraterrestrials are going to take us over well of course yeah. you know, we have to band together against that um what do you think that is gonna what do you think we're gonna see down the pike with some of that well i mean klaus schwab and davos have said that in the next 10 years there will be the discovery of alien life Mm-hmm. It's funny how he keeps predicting the future like that, right? He says uh, there, there will be cyber attacks on the, uh, you know, industry and the logistics that run your country. And then we get cyber attacks on the gas and the meat industry. I mean, he just has this crystal ball or it's actually planned and he's telling us what the plans are. And mm-hmm. yeah, that's, uh, the, you know, the World Economic Forum said four years ago in one of their viral Twitter videos that we would see the so-called discovery of alien life which again is, is ludicrous unless they have planned to roll out, you know, some future psyop based on uh, uh, the so-called discovery of, of ETs. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm, I devoted uh, significant chapters, multiple chapters in part one and part two of my book to this topic because I felt it was uh, crucial literally to, arrived to today. the narrative. Uh-huh. Your book, your book, literally arrived today, so I'm looking forward oh, okay. to diving in. But go on, yeah. Well, well, there's a longer section in part two as well, d- devoted to aliens and space brothers, and really ho- Hollywood has played the central role in yeah. prepping us for this belief. And uh, I, I dug up a 1968, I think, Brookings Institute uh, psychological warfare doctrine relating to aliens and how if they inculcated the population with the belief in ufos and extraterrestrials uh i mean ufos being extraterrestrials obviously there are ufos but them being these extraplanetary exo theological entities then it would uh shake our biblical heritage that was the document says that's my next question Yeah. yeah it says that so they knew that since the 60s that that could be a useful tool for that and really it just is an easy way to manipulate people into the transhumanist technocratic ideologies 
because all of the space brothers put us here and the space brothers want to give us, you know, new tech. And if we just, you know, opt into the matrix, it's, you know, it's all going to work with our space brothers and all this so that they always connect it to, and it works very well with Darwinism and, and transhumanism. So it's, it's a perfect concocted new religious mythology, at least potentially, right. Uh, mm -hmm. In terms of its use, the whole alien narrative. So um, a lot of people have been talking about this for a long time. Uh, the Collins brothers just wrote a big uh, thousand page book actually on this called uh, uh, Invoking the Beyond, which is about this very idea that, that they could replace uh, the Western ethos with the alien mythology. And again, the alien mythology is also much more amenable to a global government. Right. Of course. Of course. What do you think? Do you have any thoughts on what that uh, alien mythology or religion might look like? Well, there have been multiple um, intelligence front cults that were alien cults. So, um, I mean, we've got at least a taste of this with uh, these different uh, mind control cults that were basically probably some version of MKUltra or connected to the CIA with uh, Scientology with the Ray alien cult. Uh, I think the Order of Solar Temple is another alien cult. Uh, I mean, there have been many, many, many cults that, that are more or less alien cults. So I would say those might be loose templates for what they might try to use, uh, or they might try to, like the Vatican might, you know, say, oh, uh, we've decided that the, you know, Space Brothers are, are part of the so-called uh you know bible story and that really god or jesus was just another alien i mean they might try something like that and then the vatican capitulates to you know some kind of uh global space religion who knows but uh many cults have an exo theology in them which could be a template for something like that i mean even people don't know this but even jim jones's cult had a exo theology alien element to it um a lot of a lot of cults do interesting yeah um are you have you been following any of uh the black rock and what they've been doing how they're you know uh, not extensively but i'm okay. aware of the story yeah okay um what are your thoughts on uh black rock and their you know ties to the you know the more the well, they are now, I, th I think that's pretty evident, part of the elite banking structures, but what are their connections to it and their potential uh, instrumental role? I, I don't know enough on that topic to okay. speak beyond just to say that, if, I mean, my, my understanding is that it fits into the kind of a fire sale where you destroy, you basically gut the country through economic warfare. We saw that in 2020 with KUFID, the vertical integration of the economy, putting out of uh, work a lot of, uh, you know, middle class and getting people on universal basic, basic income. Then you can go in and buy up housing and then you just uh, make everybody be perpetual renters. Uh, but they've yeah. already been preparing people for this with austerity and tiny living and, and conditioning millennials to accept tiny living and coffin apartments and never owning only renting so it's uh, that's how i would interpret all that but i don't yeah. know enough specifically about blackrock other than that they were saying that it's kind of you know uh, aiding the sort of commun uh, the, the chinese buyout of different arenas in the us yeah I, I i was just curious because they seem to be uh very much aligning with that they they were promoting the great reset um and we certainly see the you know, oh, I wasn't aware of that. Interesting. Yeah, uh, some of their 
Uh, I, I think there were some public, you know, kind of statements okay. towards yeah, that. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, that makes sense. And so, so it's it's just interesting now seeing some of the actions of you know right. with, that seem to be aligned with the notion of you know you'll own nothing and be happy. Yes, um, makes perfect sense, right? Right. How are, are you? I would love you to talk a little bit about it. Is such a broad scope, I and mean, we can probably do a whole another segment just on this. Uh, you know, I I have a you know, strong history in uh, the study of psychology. And mm -hmm. I've very much, one of the reasons I didn't go on to graduate studies in psychology was because I could see so much of the uh, infiltration uh, of the, you know, uh, like the Frankfurt School and the mm -hmm. Marxist ideology that had yeah. kind of taken over. Um, but I think we're seeing a lot of that being uh, weaponized towards the people and, you know, used in certain uh I, tech, techniques to be able to, yeah, weaponize and manipulate people. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, could you talk a little bit about, I know it's such a broad scope, but some of the, the tools that they use in, in that realm, yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> there's a lot. So, yes. I mean, really the whole discipline of psychology was more or less it, it come in the way in America it comes out of like you know the Rockefellers and and the um that as well as sociology its companion right uh, that comes out of University of Chicago and the creation of the different departments there by Rockefeller funding and so I think that really the whole discipline is kind of a I mean I'm not saying you can't do the study of the psyche yeah but it's kind of created to be a replacement for what people used to do with the healing of the soul. So, right. the, you know, the biblical understanding of, of having a soul and you go to church to, you know, uh, repent and to become a better person and so forth. Now that's replaced with the secular idea of the psyche and psychology and, and Freudian analysis and psychoanalysis. Uh, I mean, I know those are not, uh, those are, so-called they're discarded nowadays but they were pseudo-scientific pseudo-philosophical attempts to try to kind of rescue um you know treating the mind of man or whatever with different treatments and really what it ended up being i think was just its usefulness was uh perhaps for social engineering and psychological warfare they, they yeah. wanted to master the mind of man which you know edward bernays did this through his you know propaganda and through his research in terms of applying warfare propaganda strategies from foreign operations and whatnot to advertising so really a lot of this becomes useful for advertising it becomes useful for social engineering and, and moving the population into adopting um, new narratives, new stories, new new myths. I mean, there's a famous document, white paper called Changing Images of Man from Stanford that was about all of this and changing Western man's idea, not just of nature, but also of himself to, you know, adopt um, beliefs that were more amenable to the technocratic elite. So things that they use is things like uh, magical thinking, um, inversion, um, I believe gaslighting and these kinds of things are techniques that that are applied through psychological warfare. Sure. I mean, all of those things in psychology apply to to the way that they manipulate and control the population. 
Right. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things I think is really interesting that we're seeing a lot more of uh, is the use of polling to manipulate people. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a scam for sure. Yeah, right. I, but I don't think I, I think people are starting to become more aware of that. But I don't think people ever would have, you know, realized that polls weren't uh, a genuine just. Uh, well, I mean, all of these are uh, things are, are manipulation tactics. I mean, peer review is a joke, mm -hmm. it's a scam. Um, science, as I mentioned, scientism is a scam. It's more of a social engineering tool. Right. Um, mass media is a, a tool of psychological warfare. Um, pop culture is a tool of psychological warfare. All of these things are really just um, elements of, of warfare. Right. So what do you think that people... If there is this movement towards transhumanism, essentially, and however, maybe you could talk a little bit about your view of what that means. What what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, I think what? people have different kinds of uh, views on what transhumanism actually means, right? I think there's a- Well, I mean, the origin of the word is from Aldous Huxley's brother, Julian Huxley, who coined the term and he wrote the philosophy of UNESCO, the philosophy of the UN, Yep. And uh, I mean, he doesn't leave it ambiguous. He makes it very clear what it is. It's about becoming post-human. It's about adopting um, technology to the extent that it basically replaces humanity. Um, the last third of uh, Klaus Schwab's book, Fourth Industrial Revolution, mm -hmm. is about uh, becoming post-human and basically replacing the organic with the synthetic. Right. I, I think I was really uh, thinking, you know, the mechanisms. I maybe a better way to to have worded the question was I, so many people just don't really believe that what's happening is really uh, a transition of, you know, us being. Well, Klaus's whole right. book is about that transition. Yeah. It's yeah. called the Fourth Industrial Revolution, Revolution meaning yeah. the replacement of the biological with the synthetic. Right. And uh, do you think? What do you think the mechanism of that will be? Do you think that that is through? Do you think that the, these injections it's through the rewrite of the entire biosphere It's through everything that we're seeing. So it's, it's uh, a cashless society. It's uh, a uh, blockchain tracing. Uh, by the way, I don't think any of these things are inherently wrong. There's nothing inherently wrong with blockchain technology, but everything being on the blockchain, internet of things, uh, mm -hmm. 6G, all of these things, um, biometric implants, tracking, tracing, um, Skylink, Skynet, all of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's okay. basically and, rewriting everything. Right, and and I agree with you. I don't think inherently- uh, Geoengineering, I forgot that. That's part of it. That's a class that's, of old chapter That's a huge- it. It has yeah. a whole chapter on it. Yes, that, that's, that is huge. I I, I agree with you though. I don't think anything uh, is inherently wrong with those. I Like people like to demonize, uh, even tech, we're, we're in the, we're moving towards the technocratic age, right? And uh, people like to demonize technology and te technology is not all bad. You know, technology has- we've gotten a lot of wonderful things out of technology so i think it's not the things themselves it's the it's how they get used you know things can be used for good they can be used exactly for, yeah the misuse right right exactly so if there is this movement you know which we're we're seeing there is and uh we're seeing it it seems to be rapidly escalating uh and i don't know if that's just because a lot of people have had more time to 
you know, during the lockdowns to actually witness it and become more aware of it, or if it's actually escalating in its uh, speed. I almost feel like, you know, the agenda 2130 is, I feel like they're ahead of schedule. Um, and I think I recently saw something about agenda 25 and I was like, yeah, so I guess they might be ahead of schedule. So it does feel like they're moving very quickly. Uh, what are some things that, you know, we the people who don't want to become transhuman and don't want our, you know, uh, posterity to come, become transhuman can do. I would try to live outside of giant cities in the country. I would try to be as self-sufficient as possible within reason. I would try to um, find a good Orthodox Christian church. I would try to uh, become familiar with the Bible. I would try to learn basic logic uh, so that you don't get duped by things. I would try to um, live and eat uh, organic, healthy lifestyle. I would try to, uh, if you can, eat paleo keto type diet or carnivore. Um, I would try to own gold and Bitcoin. Uh, those are all the ones that come to mind. Yeah, those are all, all great. I had two questions from those. Uh, one is, what do you you suggested Bitcoin. I mean, gold makes sense. You know, that that was originally the, the standard. And I, I think it makes sense to have a return to something at least that's substantial, yeah, you know, right. substantiated, right? Um, uh, what do you see as the future of Bitcoin? Do you see there being any, you know, we've talked about like things can be used for good or you can be used for bad. And certainly there are the, you know, potentials with blockchain. Uh, so what, what do you see as, do you see there being any potential risks moving forward with Bitcoin? Cause that's not a, it's not a backed standard, right? It's not a, not a gold standard. It's. Uh, no, to the contrary, it's actually better than gold um, okay. because it can never be inflated or deflated. Uh, in fact, it will always have a tremendous amount of value precisely because it's more um rare than gold and uh, i think it's uh surpasses gold on many levels and i in fact last year sold gold to buy more bitcoins so oh, really? uh, no i think that's a the fact that it's it's a misunderstanding that it's not not cr criticizing you but mm -hmm. that it's not backed by anything as a misunderstanding it's actually backed by it's the logic and mathematics of the protocol itself so it is backed in fact it's more backed than gold but can it be can it be manipulated that's more of the question well Just i mean in this life it. everything to some degree can potentially be manipulated but right. it's less manipulable than any other form of currency okay that yeah that that's really i i understand the the mathematic structure gold is more easy to manipulate than than bitcoin interesting I, and why would you say that well because you can always mine more gold and people that own tremendous amounts of gold can uh, manipulate uh, the price. You can also have, uh, you know, people uh, scamming with gold that you can't do with Bitcoin to the degree. Yeah. Like they can, they can, they, I mean, there have been people who discover entire bars of gold are filled with tungsten. Sure. Yeah. No, sure. Of course. You can always mine more, which again, there's not a fixed supply. There's 21 million Bitcoin ever. There will never be more. Right. It's a, it's a finite system. And the other thing you mentioned was a, uh, well, one of the other things was the keto paleo lifestyle. Um, there were, there's a huge movement towards the, uh, you know, anti-meat movement and, uh, you know, 
What what do you think is behind that? Well, we know what's behind it. I mean, the, the same people who are behind the World Economic Forum, all those uh, elites and billionaires are the ones that fund the uh, go vegan campaigns. They fund mm -hmm. the Beyond Meat the fake meat companies. And that's to get us to not have to, uh, to have a nutrient deficient diet. Uh, food warfare is one of the oldest forms of warfare. Charles Galton Darwin, one of the Royal Society technocrats has a whole chapter in his book about controlling the food supplies of the population to depopulate. Right. Well, just Bertrand very, Russell talks about it too. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's very concerning now that uh, Gates is buying up uh, the majority of our farmland and trying to dim the sun's rays. And, and I've heard, I've heard, and I've actually heard this from farmers that mm. people, and again, this is just hearsay, but I've heard that they're being paid off to kill off their crops. They're being subsidized to kill off. I wouldn't crops. be surprised. That, yeah, I've, I've heard that too. That, that yeah. makes sense, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they basically they would like to have a monopoly on food production so that entities like Monsanto and you know whatever Gates's interests are, so that they can do who knows what to the genetics of what you're eating. Right. I mean, uh, if you read, I mentioned earlier, uh, Full Spectrum Dominance, I think there's a section in that about, no, there's another book that uh, F. William Engdahl has called Seeds of Destruction, which is about that very thing, modifying seeds to have basically stealth um, uh, dietary attacks, basically. Right. Okay. So you could potentially eat something that sterilizes you, basically. That kind of a thing. I don't know if that does exist yet, but that's the mindset, basically. Which is really horrifying. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's a, that's pretty scary. Um, you had mentioned uh, one of the other things. You're an Orthodox Christian. So what are your views on, I mean, there are certainly many religions and even many sects of Christianity. Um, what are your views on uh I, I, it's certainly not realistic that everybody's going to convert to Orthodox Christianity. Um, so what are your views on- Well, not everybody, but it's definitely plausible that uh, large portions can, and they have in the past. Yeah. Uh, and what are your views on the, uh, other religions and how, uh, yeah, I guess the future of other religions and what would happen to society. Well, I think Orthodox Christianity is the true religion. Uh, that doesn't mean that other religions don't have any truths or can't know or say true things. Uh, but they're in, in the cases of the other religions mixed with a lot of error. Um, I think that uh, Orthodox Christianity in terms of the doctrines and the dogma is does not have error. That doesn't mean that individual Orthodox Christians can't be in error or get things wrong. But that it is the true faith and it is the true church. So um, to whatever degrees other religions and groups have part of the truth, you know, they're uh, to those degrees, uh, you could say in a way closer and further from us. Um, so certain Christian groups like maybe um, more traditional Roman Catholics or uh, uh, more conservative Anglicans, they might be closer to us than like a crazy Pentecostal or charismatic church or a Baptist church. Um, and then, of course, other religions are definitely further from us, uh, you know, pagans or polytheism or neo-pagans or uh, Hindus or whatever. Um, but I've done a lot of debates with Muslims. And so, I mean, if people are more interested in the specifics of that, you can go. I just debated one of the, the top uh, Muslim scholars out there, Sheikh Azar Rashid. We had about a three hour debate on um, our conceptions of God. So 
I get, you know, deeper into that kind of stuff in the debates, but uh, I think that a lot of the world religions, so to speak, in terms of maybe how they're relevant to our discussion is that Mm -hmm. they can very easily be moved into a coming world religion that will be controlled by the elite. And, and do you think that that is part of their, that's like one arm of what they're- Oh, absolutely. They all write about it. Yeah. And, and do you foresee it being through this new alien religion? No, I don't, it doesn't have to be. That's just one possible route they could go with right. all of the alien propaganda, but I don't think it requires that, no. So we, there's no denying that there there's a new world order and they're trying to put us under this one world government. Sure, <laughs> And I I think, you know, I I mentioned it earlier, I do think that America is one of the uh, primary oppositions, not necessarily the, you know, the elites of America, you know, I'm talking about the people and the, you know, the founding premises of America, um, you know, and the, the, you know, kind of the will of the American people. I, and, and it is the only one that does have, you know, a divine component to it embedded in the, you know, origins of the well, that I don't agree with that, but I do believe yeah. that it is a stumbling block. You you see that as what? I don't believe that only America's origin have some kind of divine component to it, but I do believe that it is a stumbling block to the global elite. Oh, I, I don't necessarily think it's the only one that has a uh, the only one that has divine components. I think it's that we don't have currently, and, and correct me if I'm wrong. I I don't see any other founding documents that have. You know, I mean, God is mentioned in the Constitution six times. You know, I don't see any other, uh, you know, documents in uh, other nation structures that uh, alluded to uh, being endowed with inalienable rights from their creator. You know, so in that in that regard is really what I'm referring to. Well, I don't, I mean, I think most uh, modern republics uh probably have some acknowledgement of god i think the russian duma probably does but i i mean i don't really put a whole lot of weight in that but mm-hmm. fair enough okay uh well i think that there's i i definitely think that for whatever reason we may not agree on exactly where that it is i think america is very much a stumbling block to their uh mm-hmm. you know end game of being able to get us under a one world government one world government with you know a transhuman agenda right Um, a lot Um, of the people in america are the primary stumbling block yes a large portion about half of the country is a huge stumbling block to the global elite yes i mean i was just saying that uh you know there could be a they could use an alien myth but another thing i think that they'll do a lot of studies and research on how receptive the population is to different things so they wouldn't try to foist an alien myth unless they felt like, you know, a huge portion of the population would accept that. So, I mean, I'm sure they have, you know, actuaries and, and studies based on, you know, how receptive people would be to that kind of a story. So if there's only, you know, a percentage of the population that would believe it, they would probably wait until, you know, 10, 20 years when a larger portion of the population they think would accept it. But they don't, so they don't have to use an alien myth. It's just one of the cards you could say in the, that they could play right sure and there Uh, does seem to be a lot of telegraphing and and predictive programming that that might be what they would use to get us uh, all to to unite under the the one world government so they can better control it which would just be one one means of control that if everybody believes in 
the same. Yeah, and some and and combining that with some kind of generic world religion, which is just a tool of the global government. Right. What are the uh, so it, just to kind of give people an overarching, uh, you know, telltale telltale kind of things to look out for, like where you know certainly there they how they would get us under this one umbrella is definitely the this idea of a one world religion um and then the through the the technocratic kind of uh yeah could you give us some of the like what ways i i think my thing is i always want to instill people with some sort of hope <laughs> you know um a lot of what we're a lot of what we're facing is so dystopian and so apocalyptic right and we're very much a, a up against things that I think people never thought they would actually see. I think it's a thing. They thought that it would be relegated to dystopian science fiction novels. <laughs> and, uh, and it's not, it, we're seeing it in real time. And it's part of why so many people are, I think part of why people are less resistant to it and, but, and, you know, go along with it is because they can't possibly believe that there is anything that sinister um, well, they have no discernment. So if people have lost their notion of, of the spiritual gift of discernment, then they're not going to be able to figure out what's really going on. And so that's why real and authentic Christianity is necessary to give people a worldview and a paradigm by which to judge and interpret the world. And I don't think that's going to come from Rome or the Pope or anything there or the Protestant world. And so uh, really only Orthodox Christianity is the means by which people could find um, communities and build civilizations to withstand this kind of stuff. So uh, the positive side of this is that what the global elite push is so self-destructive and so sterile that the people that adopt it will uh, be gone in a generation or two. So there won't be any, and that's part of the plan. Uh, and so it will come down to them having to oppose communities that reproduce have offspring, which classical Christianity does promote, having large families, uh, that will that will be the number one um, enemy and thing that they'll have to try to stamp out, which is why they oppose the family so much that they say. I, I was just going to ask about that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the family. Yep. So, I mean, I, I know and I see all the time people that have five, <laughs> 10 kids. So, and they're raising those kids with you know, Christian values, Ten Commandments, so forth. So they'll have to, it'll ultimately come down to a spiritual <laughs> war and battle between that. And we already see that with yeah. uh, the global elite attempting to destroy Orthodox Christianity in Russia and in all these other countries. Uh, that's that's what they've been. And they, they more or less admit that. That's why they um, split Christianity in Ukraine. That was the State Department of the CIA basically doing that. They preempted it with their color revolution stuff when they foisted the color revolution in the Ukraine. And now they're doing the exact same thing to split the church in the Ukraine. So they'll do that with the Roman Catholic Church and they'll do that with the Orthodox Church as well in America too. Right. Split it right down the middle. Right. And that, that is always, you know, with, I, I think not just with uh, religion, but, you know, or even with the family, I think that we always see the divide and conquer is their right. main right. strategy and tool. Um, so I think that that is possibly one of the uh, antidotes is for people not to get caught up in this, uh, the divisiveness. Sure. You know, that we're not all enemies of each other. 
uh, you know, people can just disagree with each other and people can live, live different lifestyles and whatnot. Um, but I think that this, this, this idea that we need to be, you know, split in half and competing against one another is just another part of the downward cycle of the Hegelian. Yeah, at many levels in society, that's exactly what they're doing is, is just pitting uh, each off against one another to divide and conquer, yeah. And, and I mean, that's a big part of it, but there's a lot more than that going on as well. Yeah, sure, sure. But I, I think strategically that there's a lot of that and we're seeing, yeah. and I think that's something people fall into so easily. So it's a really right. easy tool to manipulate people. So, yeah. Um, well, this has been incredible. I, I feel like we could do so many deep dives on each of them, but I wanted to get kind of like a overall kind of, you know, right uh, feel free to yeah have me back on sometime or yeah we can do another one yeah i would love it i would absolutely love it we can take a deep dive on you know whichever one of the (laughs) deep topic i I like to go down rabbit holes so (laughs) um yeah so deep dive stuff would be awesome um do you have anything else you want to add or yeah closing remarks obviously Uh, if people are interested in my material you can go to jasonalysis.com and there's a shop there and you can get the books i do do signed copies so if if you order from me you get a signed copy you can um go to uh my youtube channel jay dyer and also have a rockfin account now which is a lot of material there that's exclusive to rockfin so awesome awesome well thank you so much yeah all right thank you appreciate doing it again This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.